This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Great is your faithfulness. Does anybody know where that was from? Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 21. One of those books no one likes to read because it's sad. But right there at the end is the hope. This morning I was laughing. I was thinking as these alarm stories going off, I was thinking about my hero, Mark Lloyd-Jones. You guys know Mark Lloyd-Jones, one of the great uh, preachers of London. So during the Second World War, alarms were going off, but they weren't little sissy fire alarms. They were bomb alarms. And bombs were dropping in London. But he was preaching, and he didn't stop. And the people were faithful, and they kept listening. One drop, and literally, the, it shook the building, and it shook dust and all kinds of stuff from the ceiling, and it came down, and when everyone looked up, it had all landed on him, and he looked like a ghost up there. And they were all terrified, and he dusted off his Bible, and he said, and verse 11, and they moved on. So today, if alarms go off, I'm just going to go to the next verse. We'll just uh, we'll just keep moving on. We got to talk about something very very important. Uh, it's something that impacts every one of our lives. It's relationships. We're talking about getting relational and how important that is. Now, look on this side of heaven, none of us are ever going to have perfect relationships, but we can have great ones. Those who have peace with God can have peace within and can have peace with other people. And what you're always going to find if you're going to have relationships is you're going to have conflict. But there is the ability in those who are disciples of Jesus to get beyond that, to disagree and still love one another, and to be able to get to the truth. And there in that truth find healing and hope. And so the next uh, few weeks, what we're going to be talking about as we as we dig into Samuel here, we're going to be looking at well, one of the most uh, precious and powerful relationships in human history. And one of the great relationships taught in the scriptures, and it is the relationship between between Jonathan and David. Now, if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, go with me to 1 Samuel. Uh, God willing, we're going to be in chapter 20, verses 12 through 17, but let's get some background. So if you don't mind, go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18. Uh, this is after that, that uh, one famous chapter of David and Goliath. And now there, there is a fusing, a forming of a friendship between Jonathan and David that is eternal in nature and blessed by God. It's important to understand what has happened in history at this point. Jonathan is the son of Saul, King Saul. And King Saul has been rejected by God because he rejected God. And David has been anointed king. And so we see there's a tension in the relationship of these two men. Uh, Jonathan wanting to be loyal to his dad, but also sensing the necessity and calling of God to be loyal to his friend. And, and what we see in this relationship is, is something very powerful. It's beautiful. It provides for us a clear picture of what happens in all great relationships. Now, we have to understand what's happened to Saul. In rejecting God and his authority, he has been left to himself to deal with power on his own. And absolute power will corrupt absolutely. And this is what has happened to this man. He has lost his mind. And that's what happens to human beings when we are given power without, without God's blessing and God's authority and, and accountability. Uh, if you've ever uh, read the book by, the books by Tolkien, the, the uh, Lord of the Rings, I highly recommend it. I would encourage you to watch the films because what you learn there, what we see there from this Christian writer, is what happens to a human being 
who seeks power without gospel, who seeks to gain control without God's love permeating their heart, without the love of God guiding us, without the gospel of God at work in us and around us and through us, power creates the very, the very worst within people. And that's what happens to Saul. David, on the other hand, is now a man after God's own heart. David is willing now to serve. And David, in, in, when we're in our text right now, I want you to understand, David is in a very similar situation that you and I are in. I want you to think about this theologically for a moment, and I want you to remember this phrase. I've used it before. It's not original with me. I got it from D.A. Carson. Talk about Carson before. Uh, one of my favorite Carson quotes these days. He said, um, you know, he's talking about someone who had some ailments, and he said, it's nothing a good resurrection can't fix. So if you're hurting or sore, just remember, it's nothing a good resurrection can't fix. Another thing Carson is noted for teaching and saying is, we have to understand for those of us who are disciples of Jesus, we're in the midst of the already and not yet. The already and not yet. David had already been anointed king, already. But he had not yet entered into his kingdom where he was ruling. It was not yet. We, who are disciples of Jesus, we have entered into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is near. It's in our hearts for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God is alive in us already. But the, the final consummation of the coming of Christ is not yet. What we read in Revelation 20 and 21 is not yet that time when there is no sickness and, and, and no more tears and no more pain and no more suffering. That's not yet, but I'm going to tell you, it's coming. It's coming, but it's not yet. But the already, God is in us. God is with us. So here is King David, already king, but not yet into his kingdom. And so in the midst of that, there are trials, there are challenges, and that's what we are facing. And that happens specifically in relationship. And so here is Jonathan, King Saul's son, and Saul has a love-hate relationship with David. It's a love-hate relationship. There, there are times when he actually, when he actually loves David, as, as Jonathan does. Look at First Samuel chapter eighteen, and what you see happening: having defeated Goliath, Jonathan saw something of the heart of God in David. And as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. That's what it, that's what happens in great relationships. There is a spiritual connection that takes place because of a shared faith and a shared hope. And, and David and Jonathan, by the power of God, were bound in that soul connection that happens through those who believe and, and to pursue the Lord under His grace and by His authority. And, and Saul, he's, he's on the outside looking in. And so he sees the benefit of David, but he's afraid of him at the same time. He has a love-hate relationship with him. And what we will find in the world, for those of us who believe, is there is a love-hate relationship with Christians. A society filled with Christians is a society filled with love and benefits and blessings. And the world loves those benefits and blessings. What they hate is the standard by which God calls us to live. That standard that says sin is sin, truth is truth, and we must abide in Him. They hate that. What we see with Saul is he loves the benefit, but he hates the authority. He hates the idea of, of having to relent in any way to God's will for, for what the Lord wanted to do in the world. And so you look in verse 2, and you see Saul loves David when he succeeds, and it gives him what he wants. But you go down a few verses. Look at verses 6 through 8. Look at uh, 12 through 16. Uh, here is a man who, who is filled with hate. Why? Because David is being victorious, and the Lord is with him. Verse 12 is, 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 is significant. 
It says, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Saul knew it. Now, Jonathan was seeking to protect Saul. Um, I'm sorry, Jonathan was, was seeking to protect David. Already, if you look again uh, in, in verse uh, eight, 11, uh, 1, Samuel 18, 1 Samuel 18, verse 11, David has already uh, been endangered by Saul. Saul tried to kill him. Now, go to chapter 19, and we see it happen again. Here again, Saul is trying to kill David, but Jonathan's trying to protect David. That's what you see in verse 2. And in chapter 19, something hilarious happens. Uh, David, having been anointed by the prophet Samuel, decides, you know what, i got to get back to Samuel. i got to figure out what in the world is, is going on. And so he, he goes back to Ramah, where Samuel is. Now, Saul hears about it, and, and you can read about this. It's, it's, it's fascinating. Verse, uh, verse 18, now David fled and escaped and, and came to Samuel at Ramah. And so Saul hears about it, and so he sends some missionaries who were supposed to go and kidnap David and bring him back so he can kill him. But the first wave goes, and because Samuel is there, because the Spirit of God is a powerful at work, these, these, uh, <laughs> these guys, they, they have some kind of an ecstatic religious experience. They call it prophesying. They begin to speak and to, and to go into these kind of actions that, are, that they can't control themselves. And so they go back, and Saul's like, what in the world? Somebody else get over there and go get that boy and bring him back because I'm going to kill him. Finally, Saul goes. So you look at the last verses there in, in, in 1 Samuel 19. Saul has some kind of religious experience. He's, you know, he's, he's in having some ecstatic language. He's prophesying. He's doing all. He, something has happened. Jonathan sees this, and he perceives it to be a change of heart. David sees this, and he's not sure. So the, the length of time between chapter 19 and 20 is not clear, but please know, there has, there's been something that's happened, it's probably this religious experience that Saul has had, that leads Jonathan to believe that he's a changed man, and leads David to believe that he's supposed to believe that Saul is a changed man, and he's supposed to now be at peace with him, but there is no genuine peace because there's not been any, uh, there has been no repentance, and there's, no been, there's been no forgiveness given. And so what's happening here is now David knows that Saul is going to expect him to be at the, at the uh, New Moon celebration. And so he now sees this as an opportunity to kind of figure out where's everybody at. If Saul is missing me and he's kind about it, I can know that there's real peace. If he blows up and he starts looking for people to kill, I can know I'm in trouble. He also has the opportunity now to see what his relationship with Jonathan is really is built on. Is it built on truth or is it built on lies? So having gotten into this conversation, now look in chapter 20, verse 1 through 11. This is intense covenant theological language. Uh, as you're reading it, yes, it's personal, but this is, this is deep, deep talk between two believers. And, and this, uh, we don't know if there's a sense in which there were other listening ears. There were others that were maybe perceiving that there was something going on here. This conversation would be considered treasonous. So look at verse 11. And so uh, David, uh, I'm sorry, Jonathan says to David, come on, let's go outside. Let's go out in the field. We need to have a talk. By the way, that's exactly what Cain said to Abel right before he killed him. I mean, this is like, this is feeling mob-like. This is feeling scary. So David goes outside, and Jonathan is there, and they have a very important conversation. And what we see in this conversation is what exists in all great relationships. 
And so if you don't mind, let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Sarah's going to come and she's going to read for us this conversation that I want to I want to teach from. This is uh, 1 Samuel chapter 20, beginning in verse 12. Sarah, read that for us. And Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed for David, shall I not then send to disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm? The Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also if I do not disclose it to you and take you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David's marriage and advised love for him, for he loved him as he loved his enemies. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. If you would be seated. Let's look at this. Not all your relationships are going to be this deep. Understand, every relationship has its, its own set of boundaries. And it's so important that you know and, and understand and respect the boundaries of each and every one of your relationships. They all have appropriate boundaries. You need to be able to discern them and define what they are. Uh, instead of kind of going through that and giving you the, the list, let me just tell you where to find it. It's in a book called Boundaries by Dr. Henry Cloud. And again, I've been using this book for over 20 years to counsel couples and families and friends to understand appropriate boundaries under which relationships can thrive. And I want to encourage you to take some time to understand that. And as today, as I'm even talking about this, you may feel unprepared or, or unable to make those kinds of discernments. I get that. Uh, we don't have really the time for me to, to teach it as I preach today, but I do want you to, to know there's a great resource and to be able to utilize it because every one of your relationships has a set of boundaries, and those boundaries need to be defined so that the relationship within those boundaries can thrive. So Jonathan and David, they're talking to one another in an intense way because they have the boundaries in which to have this conversation. They, they have this shared connection that, that enables them to say what they're saying and, and to deal with what they're having to deal with here. Now, relationships that have these clear boundaries, they can thrive and they can, they can share a blessing. And that's what great relationships do. Great relationships share specific blessings. And that's what we see being revealed in this conversation. And this is what I want you to take note of. Friends, there is more in this text than, than we have time to dig out. And so you're going to need to take this outline and you're going to need to go back and read it again and allow the Spirit of God to guide you in pieces of truth that are very important that I'm not going to have the opportunity to bring out to you today. But I do want you to think about and I want you to question yourself. Am I this kind of person? Are these the kinds of relationships I have? Do I have at least one or more relationships like this because you need them? How do I develop these kinds of healthy relationships where the shared blessing takes place? That's what this conversation reveals. Number one, write it down. Great relationships share the blessing of transparency. There's transparency here. Jonathan is talking to David. He's being very honest. He's, very, he's being very open. If you cannot be who you really are with a person that you're seeking to be a friend with, then that's not a real friendship. If, 
people can't be themselves around you and they have to pretend to be something they're not, it's not a real friendship. Real friendship occurs when people are being real, when there is transparency. If you have to pretend to be something you're not and you're not being real, that's not, it's not healthy. And if other people have to fake it around you, it's not healthy. David, in, in this transparency, he's not faking it. He's letting you know, I'm scared. I'm upset. You know, you look at verse 1. He's asking the question, what did I do? He is, he's hurting. And Jonathan, he, he's revealing a, a commitment to be honest as well. And, and he's trying to talk to his friend. But I want you to see something real clear right here. These guys don't agree. They don't agree. And can I tell you something? That's okay. If you're going to have relationships with real people, you're not always going to agree with them. And that's all right. So long as there's a, a, a capacity to deal with the truth and love. Now, be very careful when you're having deep conversations with people that you watch for this phrase. Well, I just feel like, and then fill in the blank. If you're going to base your relationships and your worldview on your feelings, you are in trouble. Feelings are fickle. What we get to do as disciples of Jesus is this. We get to stand on the Word of God because this Word is true. It is infallible and it is inerrant. And when we're having conversations about what we don't agree on, we need to be able to go to this Word and say, Thus saith the Lord. And be able to talk about what is true. We may, we're not going to always agree. But what we can do is in transparency, we can say, this is how I see the truth. How do you see the truth? And in the, in the midst of that, there can still be this shared experience and there can be peace. There's a capacity to pursue the truth together under the grace of Jesus Christ. And there's a blessing in that. Listen, there's a blessing that comes with being a child of God that other human beings don't have the privilege of enjoying. See, under Jesus Christ, we can be real with each other. And so we can have this, this freedom to come and deal with challenges that need to be overcome. See, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you don't have to fake it. You can be who you are, that you're a child of God in process. You understand it's the already and not yet. You're not perfected yet. You're in process and you're, you have challenges. And what we all need are people in our lives that we can speak about that, that Hebrews chapter 12, that sin that so easily entangles. We need to be able to talk to people and be transparent and say, these are the sins that I typically can get tripped up in. Here are the issues that can typically cause me to, to get overwhelmed and get undone. And there's got to be a transparency where it's safe to do that. Because we also have burdens. We have burdens that need to be lifted. And you need brothers and sisters. Brothers need brothers and sisters need sisters who can talk about the reality of the burdens that they're facing. They can come and lift those thoughts that need to be challenged. I know this is going to be hard for some of you to believe, but you're not always right. Stop throwing elbows. You're not either. None of us is always right. In transparent relationships where the blessing is shared is where we can, we can be corrected. 
It's where we can say, challenge my thinking. I must not be approaching this right. Maybe my thoughts are on this or not pure. Maybe my thoughts are, are in, inappropriate or incorrect in dealing with this. And we need our thoughts challenged. We also need our hurts healed. You know, people can't help you if they don't know what's hurting you. Don't assume people know. You, you need relationships where there's transparency. You can say, I'm hurt. I'm hurt here, and this is causing me hurt. David was able to say to Jonathan, I'm mad, but I'm more sad and hurt than anything. I'm hurt. And I can imagine that, that Jonathan was maybe a little bit hurt when his best friend's basically saying, your dad is a, is a real problem. There's got to be transparency, and it leads to a blessing second. Great relationships share the blessing of security. There is a safety where these conversations can be had. What Jonathan is saying here in verse 13 is, look, whatever is out there, I'm going to stand for you. I'm with you. You can tell me what's going on. I'll tell you what's going on. We, there is, there is a, there's a bond here, and we can talk about it. There's security in it. Let me tell you what happens. When there's a lack of security in a relationship, communication ends or is limited. Mom and Dad, if your kids can't come and talk to you about what's really going on without you reacting wrongly, they won't come and talk, talk to you. Husband and wife, if your spouse can't come and talk with you and it be okay and safe without you responding wrongly, inappropriately, they won't come and talk to you. When people can't come and talk to you, you limit that relationship. There has got to be a security. There's got to be a safety. And if you don't feel safe coming and talking to people, let me tell you what's going to happen to you. You're going to isolate yourself from other people. You'll put on the facade because, you know, we have to do that to live in society. I'm fine. You'll smile. We're fine. But in your heart, you're going to know that there's stuff going on here. But because you don't have the security of a relationship to be able to share it, you won't. And let me tell you what's going to happen to you. You're going to get devoured by the evil one. See, when you can't connect with other people, you get isolated in your thoughts. Your thoughts develop feelings. Your feelings lead to actions. And in that isolated place, you are easily taken on. First uh, Peter 5a, let this scare you a little bit. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Lions don't like groups. Lions don't, don't want to face down two. Lion wants to get one by, by their cell. So he can just jump on. Last thing a lion wants to do is be jumping on one, getting stabbed by the other. So, so you got to understand if, if you're not in a place where there is this freedom, there's this security to share what's really going on. You're going to isolate yourself, and you're going to isolate your feelings, and you're not you're not going to be able to to deal with what's going on. We all have blind spots. You have blind spots. That's why they call them blind spots. We all have. A, you're blind to them. You don't you don't see them. You've got to have the safety of having other people who love you to be able to share with you what you don't see. That only happens if there's security in that relationship. Now, to create that security, this is hard. You've got to be willing to hear what you don't necessarily want to hear. Jonathan didn't want to hear that his dad was a murderer. 
David didn't want to hear. He just needed to let it go. These guys were not in agreement, but they needed to be able to speak the truth. And they needed to have the security of having those deep, serious conversations. See, in the security of this relationship, Jonathan was able to seek David's blessing. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. See, in the security of a relationship, a relationship that's healthy, there's always a desire for the good of the other. People can't be happy for your success. They're not safe. There's a little girl who was ostracized by her friends. She was succeeding in something. So all of a sudden, the group decided, well, we're not going to talk to her. We're not going to deal with her. Because they weren't happy for her success. Don't be like those little girls who can't be happy for other people's success. And if you have people in your life that aren't happy for your success, that relationship is not secure. You've got to have the safety of knowing they're for you. You've got to have the safety of knowing they're going to speak truth. You've got to have the safety of knowing you may not always agree. You have to have that safety to know that they're speaking and showing you those blind spots. And in that secure, transparent relationship, oh my goodness, they're such a blessing. Third, great relationships share the blessing of legacy. There's a legacy that we all have as disciples of Jesus Christ. We are those who have been redeemed. We are those who have been given this glorious gift of steadfast love. We began the service reading Hosea chapter 10 verse 12. I quoted to you Lamentations 3 21. Now Jonathan is speaking to this same thing. Um, Look at verse 14. He says, speaking to the future, speaking to ultimate reality, uh, and thinking through legacy. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. That was a pretty big if, wasn't it? If I'm alive, don't kill me. Now notice what he's basing this covenant language on. Show me the, look at the kind of love it is. It's the steadfast love of capital L-O-R-D of Yahweh. This is covenant language. That word there, steadfast love, is one Hebrew word. It's the word kesed. And, and what it is, it's, it's a love that it's, it's gracious and merciful. It's not deserved. It is a covenant love that one makes with another and says, even though you don't deserve this, I'm going to give it to you. It's based on my character and my willing to take responsibility to redeem and, and provide. And that's what God has done for us. And I want you to notice what, what what Jonathan is asking here. He's saying, you and I both believe in this kind of God. A God who gives a gracious, merciful love. And he says, based on that love, I want you to promise me you won't kill me. But he goes even further. Look at the next verse. He says, I want you to promise me you won't kill my family. Guys, this is not theoretical. And, and this was not illustrative language. In the ancient Near East, when one dynasty took over the other, the last dynasty would be completely slaughtered. Every king, every servant, every person in that family line would be completely wiped out. What Jonathan is asking is, don't do that. And on the basis of the love of God, what's he saying? He's saying, listen, we both believe in this gracious God. And that love that He's given to you, 
show it to me. Jonathan knew what was coming. He knew that there was going to be a day when David would be king. He knew it. He understood it. He understood the the already that was there and the not yet that was about to come, that this was going to happen. And here's what you and I need to understand. We have a blessing that is ours to share as the children of God. If you are not a disciple of Jesus Christ, I want you to understand, you are outside of this blessing. This is a blessing that only exists for those who have come under the authority of Jesus Christ. We are free to pursue and recover God's design together because we've been given a legacy of hope. That legacy of hope is built on grace. And so when we talk about the three circles, we, you know, a lot of people, they sin, brokenness, repent, believe the gospel, and that's the end of it. But that's not the end of it. What we get to do is we get to recover and pursue God's design together. And the transparent, secure, legacy-based relationship that we have with God. We're able to look at one another and say, you know what? We love each other because God first loved us. And that same God who loved us, it is a steadfast love. It's a love that never ends. We will be in heaven together one day. Let's keep that in perspective as we are dealing with one another. Christian, stop looking at your brothers and sisters as though this is the only life we're going to have together. Treat people of the faith understanding you're going to be in heaven with them. Make sure heaven isn't awkward for you. What you don't want is a million years into heaven and running into someone you didn't forgive. Well, I know it's been a million years. And I'm sorry what I said. But, ah, no, that's not heaven, that's hell. Friends, talk that way. And then, remember, those who don't have our legacy, grieve for them. Grieve for them. Because a million years from now, they're going to be separated from God. And right now, we have the privilege and opportunity to show them this steadfast love. And it exists for those who have a shared legacy. The last thing I want you to see is the great relationship, the blessing of affection. Now look at verse 16 and 17, because we have the same English word, but it's a different Hebrew word. So Jonathan says, I want you to treat me and my family on the basis of the covenant of God's love. That steadfast love, that chesed. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about a different kind of love. It's a different Hebrew word. It's a hava. And, and this is a love that is an affectionate love that is given, now note this, by choice. What he says at first is, David, I want you to treat me based upon the love that God has shown us, and that's the kind you have to give. Love one another as I loved you, Jesus Christ said. Our love for one another is based on God's love. That love changes our heart, changes the nature of our relationship. But then there comes a point where we have to choose who we will be in these blessed, affectionate relationships. And, and, and those, are, those are the relationships that are chosen. You don't get to choose your family. You do get to choose your friends. And what Jonathan is saying to David here is, not only do this because you have to, because of the grace and the mercy and the love of God, do it because you want to, because you choose to, because you love me and I love you. Great relationships share a love that says, 
it's, it's not just because I have to. It's because I want to. Be that kind of friend. Have those kinds of relationships. And understand that these are great things. But there's one thing that is greater still. And I want you to remember this as we finish up today. The greatest blessing that can be shared is Jesus. It's Jesus. Real quick, go to Ephesians 1-3 with me. Let's look at the blessing. Let's look at the blessing. It's unlike anything else that you can have in this world. And this is what we are called to share. And this is what makes our joy complete. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Where does that come from? It comes from Jesus. And when we share Jesus with those we love and even those that are hard to love, we are providing them the greatest thing you can ever share. And friends, if it's not backed up with our actions, it's meaningless. It's easy to love people who are like Jesus. You know, uh, write this down and go back and, and think about it later. First Corinthians 13, you know this when you heard it, most weddings love. People that love like that are easy to love. Faithful, kind, trusting, that, that delight in the truth. People who are like Jesus are easy to love. The hardest people in the world to love are the people who are not like Jesus, that don't love like 1 Corinthians 13 commands us to love. And these are the ones we are to share Jesus with, not in judgment, but in compassion. Those who are like Jesus and claim to be in the love of Jesus, love them. And in the security and the transparency and the legacy and the affection of that blessing, speak the truth in love. For those who are outside the covenant, that are outside of Christ, love them still. And just understand, they're without Christ and that's why they're hard to love. Let me ask you a question. How hard is it to love you? do not have the love of Jesus, you're lacking not only eternal forgiveness, but eternal love. You need that love. Some of you claim to be filled with the love of Jesus Christ. You claim to be a follower of Jesus. Are you easy to love? See, if Christ is in you and Christ is being revealed through you, you're quite lovable. If you are not like Christ, you're not easy to love. And that transparency, that security, that legacy, that affection, hard to find. We're going to do something different this service than what we did in the other two. If you would, just bow your head and close your eyes right there where you are. We're going to end the service like this. Take an account of yourself right now. Have you turned to Jesus Christ for salvation?
have you said to God, I've sinned, forgive me. Because Jesus died to pay for my sin, I ask you in the name of Jesus to forgive me and to take over my life. If you'll pray that prayer, and if you'll mean it, and let it change who you are, you will be saved. Some of you need to be saved right now. Ask Christ to forgive you, to take over your life right now. Some of you would say right now, yes, I, I, I believe in Jesus Christ. He is my Savior and Lord. Is His love revealed through your life? Are you easy to love? Are you one who loves readily? If not, stop making excuses for yourself and right now repent. Ask God to transform your heart and mind and life that you might become more and more like Jesus. Now I want you to think for just a moment about people you know that are in broken relationships some because they have a broken heart that's not been yet healed by Jesus others who, who claim to be in Christ who need Love. Galatians 6 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Who needs you to love them in this world today? Who can you pray for right now that the Lord would save them, save their marriage, save their family? change their identity and character and enable them to enjoy the blessing that comes in great relationships that all start with a relationship with Jesus. Pray for them. Father, this world is a broken place. And it's because of the relationship that was broken with you and sin. We have celebrated Jesus Christ, God in flesh, who came to reconcile us to you, to fill us with the love and the power of the Holy Spirit, that we might have a relationship that lasts forever. And that relationship then defines us, our very identity and being as Christian followers of Jesus Christ, that we can love as we have been loved. And we can choose to give affection to those who share this legacy and the capacity for transparency and the security of, of a very well-defined relationship based on the boundaries of the covenant of grace. There's a lot said in that, but what it basically means, Lord, is that because we are Christians, we can love like you. And we can have relationships with other people that are learning to be more like you. And what a blessing that is. Lord, we live in a city filled with those who do not have that relationship. Help us to love them and show them the way. Many of us know this way, and we love you. But, Father, there's still aspects of our character, the access of our attitude, aspects of our attitude that need to be changed. So would you now, Lord, allow us, having repented and believed, to leave this place whole, confident assurance of our salvation, ready to love and to have great relationships for your glory 
and our blessing. We ask you for this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.